Welcome to B2B Revenue Leaders. I'm your host, Dustin Tizik. As always, B2B Revenue Leaders is brought to you by Testimonial Hero. Testimonial Hero helps you get more out of your best customer stories by creating customer video micro content for your entire buyer's journey. On this episode, I'm joined by Jen Igartois, who is the CEO of Go Nimbly. And we're talking about PQLs, um, but more specifically about how marketers are at risk of making some of the same mistakes with PQLs as they did with MQLs. Hey, Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So we are going to talk about PLG, PLS, PQL, all the acronyms today. Um, it's going to be fun. And that's specifically about PQLs and MQLs and avoiding some of the mistakes we made. But before we do that, um, I think product qualified lead, everyone knows what it is in a certain sense, but probably all have their own definition. So do you want to describe you know, your definition, how you think about that? Yeah. I'm going to give you a non-answer. Um, I actually don't think you should have one PQL definition. So sure, the acronym means product qualified lead. But I actually think the mistake that we're making as teams, and we did this with MQLs, it's kind of a, a little bit of a topic tease there. But um, I don't want to hear that your PQL definition is has reached a score of 100 or mm -hmm. that it's exactly one definition because ultimately you should be testing it all the time, coming up with different things. Now that I've done my non-answer, I'll give you uh, the actual definition. So yeah. PQL is going to be a mix of your ICP. So like demographics, this is almost the same as NQLs, right? You have like ICP. Who do we want to sell to? This could be demographic. This could include the type of technology that they're using, uh, the size that they are, all the things that we we're really used to defining mm -hmm. this. And of course, it should match what your company's ICP is. And then what we're doing on top of that, it's kind of our TAM, right? This is saying, like, who do we want to do business with? Then we're going to layer in, you know, for MQLs, it was marketing behavior. It was online behavior. It was events and form fills and um, online behavior. Then it got a little bit more robust when we started using intent, right? Intent mm -hmm. data from other sites. Now what we're layering on top of that is product behavior. And so we're looking on top of that frequency of usage, breadth of usage, and that might be this is totally dependent on your product. It might be times they've logged in. It might be specific actions. It might be number of users they've invited. This is why I mean like it's kind of an elusive um, definition because you should have many and it should be different mm -hmm. by role. Your power users are going to be different than your economic buyers and all that good stuff. So, you know, somebody that's getting ready to do this, have a hypothesis and like that can be your first PQL definition. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of us have been through the MQL side and even just mapping that out and figuring out what is an actual yeah. MQL, what should we do with them? You know, are there different levels of it? And this just adds to the complication, both on the RevOps side and just the overall strategy and product side as well. So you hinted at it, I hinted at it. The, you know, we've all made mistakes with MQLs. I think people are starting to pull it back now. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the parallels there and maybe yeah. how we can yeah. avoid some of those mistakes on the PQL side. Yeah. Um, I still think we're making the MQL mistakes, so I don't know that we've learned our lesson yet. Um, but now we've got different teams, and um, hopefully we can get a little bit better at this because if I just go back maybe 10 years, which is, I mm -hmm. think, when the MQL hype started happening, and we are in, like, the hype curve. We're, like, on the hype of PQL, PQS, PQL, you know, whatever, anything product-led. We're mm -hmm. in that hype. And if we go back 10 years and we think about how excited we all were about the MQL definition and the demand waterfall and all that, it was this idea that through analytics, we could figure out when somebody was ready to talk to sales. 
And when now I like to just say when somebody's ready for a human led experience. So we were going to be able to analyze their um, behavior and say, okay, now they're ready to talk to us. We're going to increase conversion. We're going to have better conversations. We're going to know more about them. And the thing that I believe went wrong is what we did instead was used an MQL definition to manage volume. So we said the SDR team needs 100 leads per week. Mm-hmm. And so our MQL uh, definition was like volume-based. We're going to give you the best 100 leads. But the problem was they hired three more people, so now we need 130. And then we've opened up a region, and now we need 30 leads in Ireland. And it just sort of escalated to a point where this definition a lot of times is just being used as like the leverage for the number of leads that you need. It's just a gate. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit of my fear that's going to happen. And I already see it happening with PQLs because this is even scarier because it can cannibalize on the whole magic of PLG. Because mm-hmm. the idea here is uh, somebody can log on to your product, have the aha moment, start using it, start leveraging it, and start basically spending money without the go-to-market team getting involved. And product-led sales tells us that they can go for bigger deals, that we can identify the places where we can really expand it. But if we start using PQLs as a volume, we're going to start calling every sign-up. The sales team is going to say, give me everyone that signed up last week, and I'm going to call them. And I'm going to get ahead of that aha moment. Somebody might not actually have the chance to get in there and really love the platform and us figure out, hey, actually, we should call X number of days after this activity has happened or when they do X, Y, Z you know, specific um, uh, product usage, like whatever it is for your product. So it's just um, if we're using it as a threshold, instead of trying to match our customer's experience, we're just going to cannibalize on the magic. Yeah, I think the customer experience part is really important there because, you know, on the MQL side, if I follow a company on LinkedIn, download some content, get some value, and then I get salespeople calling and texting me, it just ruins the whole experience. And I don't like that company anymore, right? Like there's, it it can really do that. And I feel the same worry with product-led growth. And my thought there is if they go the trial route, like say you have a dual Mm -hmm. go-to-market, they can go trial, they can go sales. If they go trial, they probably don't want to talk to you yet. You know what I mean? Like they're oftentimes a little more adverse or maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I will go that route because I want to play, see if I like it and if it's a fit and then I'm open to the talk. So yeah, I get what you're saying about cutting a little too early there. Yeah, I think that's generally true, right? If I just quickly sign up, I haven't really done anything and I get a phone call and they're like, hey, how do you like it? Yeah, That might feel really jarring. That being said, I'm I'm leaning on the kind of growth marketing mindset, which is lots of tests. Go ahead and Mm -hmm. call people right away for 5% of those people. Let's see what those conversations are like. Let's see if it actually your product, maybe it's a little bit complex to get started or maybe somebody really does love that handholding. It's also by persona. If you find a non-technical person is logged into your product, you know it's highly technical. You might want to call them right away and say, hey, are you buying for your team? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the idea here is to have multiple playbooks. Uh, every definition of a PQL, whether I have my you know, power user or I have my manager who's uh, sent 100 invitations out to the whole company, or maybe I have a C-level executive who's signed up depending on their persona and their action, my team should call in different ways. Mm-hmm. And maybe they should call with a mindset of a salesperson. Maybe they should call with a mindset of a customer success person. I think that all comes out in like the uh, 
the mindset of the company, the uh, culture that you're creating, the type of experience that you're creating. And there are some products where it's like pick up the phone and try to sell right away. There are mm-hmm. some that it's basically like, let me elevate this and bring more people in. And that's each of the playbooks that you have to design. For sure. And I think the, the tricky part there, at least when I tried to set this up when we built out a free trial, was getting the right information to sales in a clean enough way mm. that they could action it. Because we had so much data, right? They, we use Pendo, Salesforce, yeah. HubSpot, all the usual. Cool. And sales would just get a little lost. And then when they do that, it's default to your typical message. Right. So I know there is no direct, short, easy answer for this, but I'd love your thoughts on that. Like how to really set up and chunk things out for sales. Yeah. And I'll take a little step back and say, this is what's making being a revenue operator really hard. Mm -hmm. And so these are the teams that we work with and operators have it much harder than they did 10 years ago. One, customer expectations are higher. Like you said it yourself, right? I'm annoyed if you call me like just because I downloaded something or if your call's not relevant to me or how did you not know XYZ about me? Why don't you go on my LinkedIn? Why don't you do this research? Like we just have, we kind of have B2C expectations for B2C companies and we haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. And so you have this expectation of this really, really smooth process where the salesperson can call, know your usage, know your use case, know your company and basically say, hey, your gaps are probably this. We can solve them. This is how. And you're sort of expecting that sort of very consultative sales process uh, right away. Um, and with that comes its own challenges. And then on mm-hmm. top of that, we have really complex technology ecosystems. You mentioned six tools and you're like, like everybody else, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> but their integrations are hard. And where's their data set? And it's hard to report on HubSpot activity and Pendo insights and Salesforce insights without like a whole BI implementation. And then on top of that, you have to have someone that can source those analytics and lift them up in a really smart way. Mm-hmm. So... All that is to basically say, operators, I know it's really hard. So I'm going to say some like easy things that I know are not easy. Yeah. Um, but Nirvana to me would be, I as a salesperson basically get served up with, go have a conversation with this company. They're ready. Here are the champions. Here's the usage they've done. Here's the playbook you should use. And so if from an analytical perspective, our revenue operations team has a, and, and growth marketing can get involved here but has a hypothesis that um, I'm going to use one of our clients clockwise. And if you don't know clockwise, they basically are a calendaring tool for your organization. So like it moves around calendars to give you more focus time. Mm-hmm. But one of the big things they want to do is penetrate an entire department or penetrate an entire team. It's all about like increasing number of users. And so in that case, I might have the theory of, well, if I see someone who's invited 10 people in a C-level title and a director title, depending on the size of the company, I should go and try to get that to be a company-wide deal. Mm-hmm. And I could look at the size of that company, who you know actually was inviting users, the number of users versus the number of employees. And all of a sudden, I could say, this is a really good day. You've invited 10 plus people in your first two weeks. And I can have a salesperson come in and say, hey, you've got X percentage of your company. This is benefits for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And if I'm a salesperson, I need to know that. I need to know the demographics of that. I need to know the product usage. I need to know the play and the um, and my talking points accordingly. And I need to know whether I'm calling and having a conversation about like, let's let's move you to the pro plan. Let's move you to the enterprise plan. Or if I'm having a conversation, which is, hey, I want you to go use this other feature. I've turned like more of a customer success standpoint of 
Mm-hmm. I've turned on this other feature for you because it's going to be really amazing for your team. I want you to use it. I'll call you back in a week. And it's a much like softer onboarding type of conversation. And it'd be really amazing if in Salesforce I can auto-create an opportunity, auto-add all the contact rules to it, have a pop-up that tells me what play I'm using, uh, have a section that gives me all the product usage and that understanding. Like, that's nirvana yeah. to me. But to get there, it's a lot of operational projects. It's, yeah, it's a process and it's not even just the sales side too, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. what are the first steps in the product? Because you're going to lose who knows what percentage, a high percentage who just log in once and totally. leave if you don't do the first part, right? For sure. And then the sales motion and like contextual education of, oh, they did this thing, but didn't take this step. Yep. So I, I think the short of what I'm trying to say here is it's just really hard. Like it's, you know, <laughs> PLG is... I won't say trendy because it's how buyers buy, but it's, you know, like you said, we're at the top of the hype curve. Yeah. So I just kind of throwing that out there to companies, like it's hard, go easy on yourself, try small steps and yeah. get help. <laughs> like yeah. don't try to do it your own self. And even though we're at a hype, I, I feel good about what we're doing because about seven years ago, we started working with Twilio and we, we still work mm-hmm. with them there. Actually, I'm very thankful to them because they're how I started my business. They were our first client. And we were doing PQLs in 2016, I think it was, when we implemented that. Mm-hmm. It was, we didn't have exactly all the same language and all the same acronyms, but product usage in a Salesforce, elevate specific actions, have the SDR team call on those leads. And they have a developer, you know, very um, kind of developer first model and, and it's got its own complexities, but we were using product usage because they have a free signup flow and an engineer can go ahead and use their API. And so this has been going on and it's been a core part of companies that are really successful. Uh, Zendesk, Intercom, they've all got this sort of motion. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, it's been proved out. Like, to me, it's not one of those hype things where it's like we're going to go back and say, like, it's not worth it. We're just figuring out the kinks of the actual model yeah. how much to invest in each place. Yeah, 100%. And I think the the other thing there, like you mentioned a bunch of companies who do it really well and have really fleshed out programs they didn't start that way right Right. like they started small did their little tests so for the company who you know maybe wants to dip their toe and add a free trial almost self-serve option it could be freemium Mm -hmm. free trial whatever any advice there on like what to focus on first is it the user onboarding experience the sales side the marketing side Ah, you know, I'm actually not the best person to ask this question. I can tell you what other companies have done, but we don't focus that much on the actual product build and the go-to-market for that product. We're focused on the infrastructure and the revenue operations perspective. So like defining a lot of PQL definitions and testing those out and when to outreach. But I'll give you a couple of like my findings for, Mm -hmm. you know, having been this. So um, we've been working with Zendesk almost as... uh, Actually, they were our second customer. So we've been working with them for a long time. And they have a free trial. They have a lot of onboarding and nurture campaigns, et cetera. And actually, one of the learns from that and, and having seen this in a few other companies is sometimes your focus is an onboarding campaign, like the kind of typical welcome. Here's email mm-hmm. one, wait three days, here's email two. And actually, that doesn't convert as high as um, usage-based trigger campaigns. So when you do action A, send email B. So you're almost better off trying, like, obviously that's much more customized than a drip campaign that's kind of like, welcome, here's feature A, here's feature B. And having something that's much more triggered on usage, I would focus on that from an onboarding perspective is doing kind of action-based emails as opposed to something very generic. Because 
typically go there. Like almost everybody goes, great, we need an onboarding campaign now. Um, think about getting people back in the product, doing specific actions that you get them to that aha moment um, and test that often. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that. Like one of my best touchless kind of onboarding experience was with uh, Hugo, the mm. like meeting app. They got acquired by someone. I can't remember who okay. recently, um, but they did exactly that. It was completely contextual. Mm -hmm. I filled out an agenda. I left one section out because I was a total new person to this. They pinged me immediately and said it. And then when they called, I was already kind of warmed up. And it seems so easy, but the thought and the back end of building that, right? Like you really have to, can't just kind of throw it all together and hope for the best, right? <laughs> you got to map it all out. Um, you did mention, you know, I think it was Twilio 2016 till now. Yep. The product-led side has changed a lot over the years. What would you say is next up, like some of the things you're looking to help companies with going into 2023? This is very specific to like what what size you're in, but the areas that we're doing a lot of investment and research and trying to understand what's changing is one, the role of the sales team mm -hmm. um, and what needs to change in the way that go to market as a sales organization for essentially customers. They're already customers. They're, you know, they're using yeah. your product. They're happy. Uh, what do you do? I mean, Notion is an example of like a company that a lot of people got for product-led growth and extremely successful in it. And I think like I heard on a different podcast that they had like a 13-person sales team. I was like, mm -hmm. so like, look at how much they're able to do with a very small sales team. And it made me yeah. wonder like, what's how are they prioritizing what those folks do? What do you leave us as? self-serve, no big deal, don't touch that. Like, you have to be so good at segmenting your market and really understanding where it's worth having those phone calls. And then um, when it comes to that, you know, again, I, I try to think about it as a human-led experience. It's like, what's, what's the kind of interaction that we want to do? What's the kind of team that we want to build? Basically help our customers get more value out of our product, spend more, share it with more departments, uh, add more features, whatever that... Um, value prop is and i don't think that we can have same sort of sdr team sales team like what qualification is an sdr team doing when they're already our customer and and spending yeah. we already know who they are we have demographic data we know they have a need we know they're happy like we know their usage and so what is that role of an sdr team does an sdr team become more of like a customer success team does it become that we have plays to call them and basically uh, try to get them to that next um, feature usage. Um, mm -hmm. Have a conversation of saying, hey, I analyzed what you've been doing. I think there's a really cool opportunity to do X. Uh, or I see your users are struggling with Y. You know, are you my champion? Should we go and do this training for everyone? How How is the SDR role changing? Because it's you're not calling or customers and saying, hey, are you the decision maker? Like we're not doing that. So a lot of what I'm thinking about is like, how does that role change? Um, how does compensation change? We're not getting new logos. It's not about new business. Mm -hmm. um, if we have the folks going after kind of PQLs in our existing database, they're already spending money. Um, is it about, you know, net retention? Is it about expansion? Uh, where does that live? We used to have CS doing that. So I just think that the go-to-market structure is changing. Yeah, I like that you mentioned too, you know, net retention, growing your current customer base, because 
2022 is a weird year. Who knows what 2023 is going to be like? And I think there's a good chance that a lot of companies are going to have to lean harder on that. Like it's just easier to sell someone who has seen the value and uses it a bit and expanding within. Um, That's why I beat this drum all the time. So I'm probably going to sound like a broken record, but that's why I think marketing sales and success in some capacity should at least function as a giant team. Mm. Even if they're not actually on the same team, you just kind of need that because I feel like sales could learn a lot from CS and vice versa. Um, So that is interesting you brought that up. I wonder if there is going to be kind of a hybrid, I don't know what you would call it. (laughs) Right. Customer success, AE type role to help with this. Yeah. And I think a lot of companies are already doing that. And we saw transition even pre-2022 in the sense that for a long time, like, you know, customer success was just like support and helping clients. The moment it was money, it was like, okay, we'll get you over to your AE. And that changed. Mm -hmm. Um, Salesforce is a good example. Twilio is actually also a very good example of having a quarterback, right? It's like, hey, I'm your person. Like, I'll help, uh, you know, manage. I'm your account manager. And Mm -hmm. I'll pull in who we need to to have that. But you have kind of a quarterback, but you're still specializing in different areas. We have this sort of an AM, you know, kind of CSM started to have whatever you want to call them more. um, more under their purview. So like they're doing renewals, maybe they're doing some easy expansions. Um, and we started to give basically sales goals to that team. Marketing started getting you know, pipeline and revenue um, goals as well. So we see that, we see that like the teams have much more synergy between each other. We're not having the marketers do branding, the sales mm-hmm. teams just selling and CS team doing support. We're seeing that. That being said, it's, this is a little bit more about um, kind of a tangent, but the way the teams organize and the way people organize, we're very, very good at organizing like vertically, right? Like you don't typically say there's silos between my boss and me and like yeah, the people that work for me or, or you know, within the uh, sales org or the marketing org, they're pretty good about work, right? You don't have to teach them a lot how to collaborate. As humans, we're just really bad at doing that horizontally. And so, you know, having the sales team work with the marketing team and the CS team, it's harder. The sales ops and marketing ops and CS ops, we've kind of heard this by breaking down those. It's actually one of the big things that the RevOps team should be doing is you are that team that's de-siloed that should be looking at the entire go-to-market team. Sometimes I'll use like go-to-market ops instead of RevOps Mm -hmm. because sometimes people have like a visceral reaction to the term RevOps. Um, You know, our idea is that we're looking at the entire customer experience and we're saying, Hey, you got a gap here. There's an experience problem here. If you two work together, we have a, like, we're supposed to be that between those teams. And a really, really great RevOps team will be doing that. They'll be down those silos. Yeah, I, I'm glad you went on that semi-tangent because I'm going to go on another one with you there. Cool. Um, just on the RevOps side in particular, right? Like you mentioned sales ops, marketing ops, you know, general ops, there's a whole bunch. And you mentioned having a RevOps team that manages it all. Kind of a structural question say mid-sized decent sized company do you have one person specializing in each and working together someone leading that um yeah any thoughts on that so i do like one leader uh regardless of how you decide to structure there's really two main ways that i've seen it and they both can work um for me the way i think about building a system a team etc is every system has its downfall Mm -hmm. every system has a pro and a con you got to figure out the way that it doesn't work and then mitigate those in any way because no, the two definitions I'm going to give you now, they both have their downfalls. So yeah. you can go one, which is like more departmental. So you can have somebody that's running revenue operations, but they still have like marketing ops, CS ops, 
sales ops, like folks that are specializing in that part of the funnel. Sometimes say marketing, like top of funnel operations, lead operations, uh, you know, pipeline, whatever you want to call it. But they're basically focusing top of funnel, middle of funnel. And you can have that specialization. Those people need to be generalists. And the really positive part about doing it like that is they become like kind of specialized in that part of the funnel. They typically have very strong relationships with the marketing team or like whatever the team is. Um, the go-to-market teams feel very supported because they kind of have their go-to person. What you miss out is that specialization in like tools or insights or enablement or like you know, these sort of more uh, functional um, pieces. And so that's the opposite side of it, which is you go more functional. So mm -hmm. you get your tools team, you get your insights team, and typically that starts to happen. So you said mid. Typically, the first one I said is the earlier stage companies. And then as you yeah. get into the larger ones, you start to specialize on that function. And it makes sense because the insights become harder and the enablement becomes harder. And so they start to specialize in those areas. Sometimes the tools piece goes to a systems team. And now you have a systems team and our revenue operations team is tools, but they're not. They are like implementing the solution and then working with the systems team to actually do the technical implementation. And so you know, and then some people are in a hybrid. And, you know, the pros of that is you typically have specialists. You can have much more complex solutions. You have less technical silos because you have people looking at it in a more, much more broad way. But that specialization in top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom of funnel, and some pains between the, like the go-to-market leaders tend to have a little more pain. Mm -hmm. And you can deal with that, right? You can have liaisons. You can layer this stuff on top of each other. There's a lot of ways to sort of fix it. But if you look at like org charts, and I have this, like there's a blog we have that like has the pros and cons here, but the typical org charts are either departmental or functional. Yeah, I think that that does make sense that it switches more to functional as companies grow. Um, mm -hmm. It's the really early stage, for, like yeah. maybe even before the you have a sales marketing where you just have one sure. operations part that is yeah. incredibly hard, like finding yeah. a person who can actually do that effectively. People want that unicorn, right? Of like, the individual that's a great strategist, but also can implement the technique. Very good at stakeholder yeah. management and, you know, can, it's just, you're asking a lot of one person. Um, and those people exist, but they're few and far between and expensive. And so, you know, sometimes you layer it on and this is not a hard pitch, but you layer it on with a consulting company that can give you some of those other um, access to those other skill sets or, you know, you, do a little bit of a skills analysis and a skills gap analysis on that person. They're very, if they spike really high on strategy and operations on like, let's go down that path. Let's mm -hmm. hire a technologist or let's get a technology partner to help them or vice versa. Um, but if I'm hiring my, you know, first RevOps hire, I am looking for that person that is kind of spikes higher on, on strategic, like, Hey, I can identify a gap. They're a generalist. Mm -hmm. And I'm also looking for someone that can build relationships. Um, they're going to be that person that I build a team around. And it's much easier for go find a, someone that owes Salesforce or someone that like can implement a technical solution. Yeah, 100%. I, I really like that feedback. I think it's good because someone who spent their career as well in the weeds, maybe on Salesforce, on the technical side, it's just going to be so hard for them to have those skills. And yeah, I've looked for that unicorn. I don't know if yeah. they exist. I've never found them, uh, but yeah. definitely a hard one. Cool. So we talked about you know, PLG, RevOps, a lot of topics. I know you talk about a lot more on LinkedIn, your website, a bunch yeah. of places. So if people want to learn more, where should they go? Totally. Yeah. On LinkedIn, um, don't follow me on TikTok. 
because I'm really bad at TikToks. Um, go nimbly.com. Got a website. If you are a revenue operator, we've got a revenue operations accelerator. Um, so a program that's five weeks where you can come in and basically do all the frameworks that we've been talking about. Go find gaps. Go prioritize those. Build a roadmap. Align a team. Especially if you are that person that's looking to be that unicorn or you know you need help with that. Um, it's a good program for that. And um, that's pretty much it. On Twitter, I just tweet at Delta to tell them how bad they are. So I don't think <laughs> it's very interesting there. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I'm Canadian. And one of the few tweets I had was actually at Delta complaining yeah. about something. Their so coffee is really bad. <laughs> Fix the coffee. What's going on? It's, that'll solve most, most of the problems. Customer experience, right? That's right. <laughs> a cup of coffee on my seven-hour flight, you know? Cool. Well, we'll include those links in the show notes for our listeners. But Sweet. Jen, thanks for joining me. Fun conversation. I learned a bunch about RevOps. So thank you. Totally. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of B2B Revenue Leaders. My big takeaway here is really that parallel between PQL and MQL and how the focus of both really is finding out when someone's ready for a human-led experience. But it can be a slippery slope. And if you fall into that volume-based approach, what you run the risk of is allowing sales to get ahead of that aha moment. And then you end up cannibalizing the magic of the whole product-led growth movement and motion. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed it, head on over to where you listen to your podcast and click subscribe. And as always, we'll be back every Tuesday with a new episode.